what I think the process of writing the book did was a couple of things. Firstly, on those smaller bits, helped me really understand clearer ways to explain things that I'd been teaching and talking about for years. It, it did that. But also what it did in, in the process of shaping the book this time is that we went through several iterations of what we thought the book was. And in the end, I'm, I'm really pleased with how, how the book has turned out because Essentially, the shape of the book taught me what it is I really want to do. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. One of the most important components of writing any book, at least any book that people want to read, is having the ability to tell a great story. So today, I have with us our guest, Richard Newman, who is going to share with us a little bit about the science of storytelling. And he will explain to us some of the ways that almost everyone does it wrong. and limits their own success. And of course, Richard's going to give us some great insights on how to make your stories more engaging and more interesting and more inviting and enrolling to your reading audience. Now, Richard is the founder of Body Talk. And for over the past uh, course of the last 21 years, his team has trained over 100,000 business leaders around the world to improve their communication and impact including one client who gained over a billion dollars in new business in just one year using the strategies that Richard teaches. Now, his first book, You Were Born to Speak, encapsulates many of the main strategies that he teaches at Body Talk uh, with his clients. And he also has a new book coming out published by McGraw-Hill called Lift Your Impact, Transform Your Mindset, Influence, and Future to elevate your work, team, and life. So Richard's first book was self-published, and his second book is being published by McGraw-Hill. And so as we often do when we have authors who have experienced both the self-publishing route and the traditional publishing route, Richard also shares with us some of his insights and experience as it relates to these two different methods of getting your ideas out and what his experience was with each. So lots of value here for you today. Sit back and get out your pad and paper and enjoy. So Richard, welcome to the Author's Corner. Yeah, thanks so much, Robin. Well, it's it's a, a delight to have you here. And as we were chatting about before we started the interview... The thing that I am so curious about and would love to hear what you have to say is about the science of storytelling and how, uh, in your words, uh, I I hope these are your words, but (laughs) uh, almost everyone does this wrong in business and you have some tips to help us transform success into, you know, into more success. 
But you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make myself and our listeners wait for just a little bit longer. Tell us a little bit first of how did you figure this out about storytelling? What you're going to tell us? Like what led you to even figure something out that could really transform this for people? Great. Yeah. So, I mean, I think my, my journey uh, up until now of, of uh, working out this storytelling piece is, is quite a long one. So, so back when I was at school, uh, I realized quite, quite early on that I, I was struggling with communication. So uh, I, I didn't know it then, but I, you know, I was very much a shy child and uh, I'm highly introverted. And I only got diagnosed just recently as being uh, autistic. And so there was, there was various challenges that I was going through as a child of trying to figure out communication. And so late in my sort of teenage years, I decided I really wanted to improve this. And so I started reading books on communication. Uh, the first book I read was around body language. Then I was looking at things around voice and stage presence. And uh, over the course of a few years there, uh, I then read around 200 books on the subject of communication, everything that I could find about nonverbal storytelling, uh, slide design, anything that helps people communicate uh, a message. And uh, I then also I studied uh, acting at a London acting school uh, for three years where we learned all about the power of storytelling. You know, how do you create the character? How do you engage the audience? How do you engage the individual on the stage with you? How do you take somebody else's words and make them into an engaging and captivating story? And what are the what are the key moments of a scene and what are the key moments of a sentence even? And you know, how do you feel the arc of that? And then uh, after I'd, I'd left uh, there and I started to do a little bit of acting work, very quickly, my acting agent got me a job with a Formula One racing team. And wow. uh, they said, look, uh, yeah, he said, look, <laughs> in between auditions for acting, this is what you can do. And essentially what they wanted was uh, somebody to, to come and work with them uh, to help them bring their meetings to life. And they felt that given that I had this acting background, a passion about communication, this would be right for me. And so uh, they essentially wanted me to come in and host these meetings that were two hours long, uh, where I would take very complex information that was sort of legally approved scientific information about how they built the world's greatest race car. But to give you some idea about the information I was dealing with, it was talking about things like the percentage of resin impregnated into unidirectional or weave carbon fiber in the 70 layers of the monocoque chassis. It was like that. Well, that and sounds so riveting, to... Richard. Oh, yeah. Absolutely oh, riveting. Right. I mean, I'm, course, I'm yeah. sure there were just all the eyes were wide open the whole time. I'm sure. Yeah, that, that's right. Well, well, that was kind of my, my job. They said, we're, we're going to pay you to come and do this. You have to host these meetings and make people engaged because 80% of their money came from the sponsorships and they wanted those sponsors to be super engaged. So that was the job. Make complex information really captivating. And, uh, and I remember that I was working on this and I went to work with them and I, like I'd memorized this information like I, I would an acting script. I went to deliver it and uh, the, the, the session I was hosting was a two hour session and I hosted about the first 20 minutes and I got this big round of applause from the people in the room. There were people from Mercedes Benz who'd flown over from Germany to hear what I had to say and they were engaged. And I thought, oh, that's good. And that, so I got to the end, there was another big round of applause. They went to, to uh, have some lunch and one of the people from the racing team came over to me and he said, what, what, did, you, what did you say to them? <laughs> and I said, I said, well, you gave me that script. Remember, that's what I said. And they said, no, 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 we've never had a round of applause. And you got one after 20 minutes. And at the end, what are you doing? 
And I thought, oh, okay, I know what I'm doing. I'm taking your information, but I'm turning it into something that is an engaging and a compelling uh, story. And then from there, you know, I built up my communication training company. We've worked with people uh, all the way around the world, but I've always been fascinated with with story uh, such that I think it was uh, 10, no, maybe 13 years ago, I came out with my first mini book, which was just, I felt compelled to create a book. It was short. It wasn't brilliant, but you know, it was the best I could come up with at the time. And I felt pleased with it, but I thought, I think I can do something better. And uh, then I came up with a, uh, there was my, my previous book I wrote was about five years ago. And there to launch into the storytelling process of that, I, I had much more information uh, around what was working with story and what wasn't working. What am I teaching to clients uh, and what's working for them? And, you know, as part of that, to give you some idea, uh, there's one of our clients we worked with a few years back where they were bidding for big government contracts. And uh, they said that they had a one in four success rate, and which they said was pretty good for their industry, but they were hoping to maybe get like a one in three success rate. We went to work with them and we worked on their storytelling skills. We worked on this from three aspects, their body language, their voice, but then the arc of the story that they are telling when they go into a meeting. And they went from a one in four success rate to a hundred percent success rate. And they got over a billion dollars of new business in the space of a year. And that's just an example of one of the clients that we worked with on this. So, so when I wrote my second book, I thought I need to put some of this stuff into practice myself and, and keep people engaged. That's a good and story so, for your book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought, well, I'll stick that in my book. And also like, I'll maybe use the arc of what I'm doing there and make it engaging. And I can remember when I, uh, you know, just to think about the authors who listen into this podcast, I remember when I, when I wrote my previous book, so I've got a third book that's you know, out now. But when I wrote the previous one, my business coach was saying to me, Richard, you should really write a book. Like you've got a lot of stuff in there. And I said, I'm never writing a book. It just <laughs> takes too much time and nobody would buy it. What's the point? And she said, no, you really should. And eventually I, I yielded and I decided, okay, I'm going to write this book. Um, but I need to make sure I get the arc. I need to get the story right. And so uh, I approached it from the perspective of, um, it was it was around, I think it was the 11th of December, I'd made the decision, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to get this published and out there within the space of 12 months. And I gave myself until New Year's Eve, which was 20 days, to come up with the name of the book, the chapter titles and the arc of the journey. And I thought that would, that would be like, that would give me a sense of by January 1st, I'm ready to go. And it really did. It paved the way of thinking, I now can see this book. I can see the journey that people will go on. And I know what's going to compel them all the way through this. And uh, I must say that then, you know, then I, January 1st, I had the, the arc of where I was going and I started to write this book. And um, when I'd written the first draft, I looked back at it, I thought there's not enough story in this. I have to, I have to get more story in, in there. And so I was uh, weaving more story throughout the book to make sure that I wanted to make it such a, a page turner that it would be a bit like, um, oh, what was that famous book about? Uh, oh, the, the, the Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown. Right, right. I remember when I read that <laughs> book, I literally couldn't put it down. I thought, this is so frustrating. It's like watching, you know, your favorite TV show on Netflix and it says next episode coming up in three, two, one. You think, okay, I'm not going to go to bed. So I thought I want to put that into my book to make sure there's such a thread of a story. They cannot put it down. And I, you know, I, okay, I, I have to, I have to interrupt you for a second. Cause I'm trying to picture well, the, sorry, I could talk for ages. <laughs> no, 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 this is good. But I'm, I no, I'm loving what you're saying. And I'm trying to picture the story arc of a Formula One engine, like, like, how did you, how did you, I still can't get my head around how you made this talk interesting. 
Yeah. <laughs> Just give so, us so one think, example. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 important to ask actually because I mean essentially what we had there was there was legal scientific information that we had to convey. Like you couldn't change the wording of certain sentences. Um, but what I what I realized, I mean, in the end, I worked with them for five years. So I um, and through my through my my company body talk, we we put together a team and we went there. I did most of it, but I had a couple of colleagues. And uh, during the course of that time, I hosted a thousand events. So if you imagine that I'm I'm delivering the same message one thousand times to one thousand different audiences uh, who are coming in, and uh, it, there was a process of figuring out, well, how am I going to make this better all the time? Um, but part of it, something that I teach people a lot, which I'm sure that you would advocate too, was personalization of the numbers, like trying to figure out, okay, there's a number here that nobody really understands. Like sometimes we had expert engineers come in and they go, oh, yes, the percentage of resin is exactly, it's profound. And um, but other people, they wouldn't know and they would, they'd point at the car and go, what's that? And I'd say, it's the steering wheel. Uh, so there was a range of people. Um, but but there was the personalization, being able to tell stories of this is what happened last weekend at the race. Remember the race where like the back of the car flew off and nobody's quite sure why? Let me tell you the story of what happened before that, after that, and how that relates to the number of layers that go into the monocoque chassis. And it was, it was allowing the story of moments to bring numbers and data to life which is essentially when I go into work with clients these days who are like um, uh, engineers or insight analysts, data analysts, what, what we essentially teach them is to say, look, 17.8% doesn't mean anything to anybody. Like it probably doesn't mean anything to half of your team. But when you create a story around that number to give people what happened before, what happened after, what was the challenge? What was the goal you were going on? What was the journey of coming up with this number and what does it mean for where we're heading? That's how you bring the number to life. And, and that's, that's really what I learned at uh, the, the Formula One racing team is that if you just say a number, no, but people just look at each other like, am I supposed to know what that means? Like, should I care about that? Is that big? Is that small? I don't know. And of course, you know, there was also elements of using my body language and voice to bring the story to life, to emphasize certain bits more than others which when you're writing on a page, you have to sort of approach it from a, from a different perspective. But that, that was sort of the process. But this is so, oh, this is so brilliant. And I hope our listeners are taking notes because really what you're saying is so important. And, you know, obviously it's important for science and technical writing, but it's also important for any kind of writing that you can tie it to something that the reader can relate to. Uh, that is that is something somehow they can match up what you're describing somewhere, some way to their personal experience. So they might not be worried about things flying off the back of the vehicle, but they can relate to whatever that parallel situation is in their own lives because because you've given them an image that they can latch on to. And so that they can follow you along. And when you're writing, especially technical or highly scientific stuff that you're writing for the mass market, this is vital. So, and I love how you, uh, you've convinced me. Now I wish I'd seen your talk <laughs> at Formula uh, One. Yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and it's actually, I mean, it's something that I've carried forward through as well. Like in, in the two previous books I did, uh, they were self-published. My my most recent book, it's uh, I'm working with McGraw Hill, brilliant oh, publishers. Yeah, they're wonderful. And 
my, my editor has been fantastic and she's been the one sometimes to come back to me on certain chapters just to really push me and say, Richard, I get what you're saying here. I really do. But I need you to help people understand what that's going to mean to them. And can you, can you find one of your stories about a client you've worked with who was stuck with that issue and what they did and how it, how it applied to them so that people can then see themselves putting all of that uh, into practice? And so, like, which, which was great that she did that because, you know, I'm always aiming to do that. And it was nice to get that, that encouragement to put more of that into uh, my writing. Yeah, yeah, that's also, um, especially when you're giving client example stories, to think of the people that are going to be reading your book and what kinds of experiences would be most the best match because you probably have lots of you know we have lots of different stories of different people we've encountered in different clients but thinking of which which specific client story would make the most would be the best fit for my reader right here mm, yeah yeah brilliant brilliant oh i love it this is so exciting so what are some of the things that people fail to do in their storytelling like, cause we just probably covered a couple of them, right? What else, what else do people do wrong? Yeah. So, so like one of the big principles that I love teaching, uh, is it's something that people, it suddenly dawns on them, like this realization of, oh, hang on a second. I thought you just said something simple. And now I've realized where I've been going wrong for years, which is always like a nice moment for people to see that. Uh, cause then you, you know, that change will happen. Uh, so one of the big things that we talk about is the hero and the mentor. Uh, and so with, with like, let, let's start off first of all with like business storytelling. Often what we find with businesses is that if they've got a product or a service, they want to talk about their business, they position themselves as the hero and they say, we are great and our product is great and our service is great. And this is what it can do for you. And it feels very disempowering for people because they think, okay, if you're the hero in this story, then what am I? Are you saying I'm a victim? Like I need rescuing by your product? Is that, is that what you're saying? And, or they might think, well, are you saying I'm a villain? Like, did I mess something up and now you're going to come and fix it? Like, where am I in the story? And the, you can see this sometimes in, uh, in books where if, if an author is really trying to prove themselves, I'm sure that I have to go back and read my early, uh, my first book and see if I did this. I'm sure I did. But if, if, if an author is really trying to prove their value, then what they might end up doing is talking about how they have been really amazing at doing something. <laughs> and, and the reader can be left there thinking, okay, so by the time I finish reading this book, like, am I going to be able to do any of this? Or are you saying, you're fantastic, you've achieved a lot of stuff, so now I need to go and hire you if I'm ever going to achieve anything? And in fact, I've, I've spoken to some people who, who actively say, yes, that's what I'm trying to achieve, Richard. I don't want them to learn anything by the end of the book. I just want them to think that I'm brilliant, so they should come and hire me. And then they can find out what I actually want to teach them. I remember hearing someone say that, saying, like, what is the point in even writing that book then? Like, you, like you, what you have to do instead, so the way that I always aim to do this, is that I will think specifically about one person, uh, sometimes two, uh, that I think this is the person I'm writing this book for. And they are the hero of the book. And I'm thinking to myself, before I start writing, okay, what are their current challenges? Like, where are they right now? Where, where are they stuck? What are they, what are they lacking? What are they, what are their big concerns? What's keeping them awake at night right now? 
And where would they love to get to? What kind of journey, if there was a magic wand available, where would they love to be three years from now? What, what does that look like? And what might help them on the way? So, so they're the hero of the book. And I'm very much seeing myself as the mentor thinking, I need to show them at the beginning. I know who you are. And I, I really empathize with your challenges. I've seen many people like this in the past. I have heard about these challenges and I'm here for you. And I also recognize where you may want to get in several years time. This is where you would love to be, or maybe you want to get there in two weeks time. Like you want to read the book and you want to be there with a couple of things. Uh, and so I can then walk them through the path of this is the journey from where you are to where you ultimately want to be. And these are the steps that you can take where you're empowered to take that journey. And also what's important is that then it's not on me. It's not like the person gets to the end of the book and goes, Richard didn't fix me. So therefore this book doesn't work. <laughs> the, the onus is on them that they are the reader and they are the people who then go and apply what they've learned. And you know, that, that's certainly how I approach it. Thinking about this as nonfiction. So I've only ever written nonfiction, not, I haven't done fiction. Uh, so, so that's the way I like to, to position that journey. And then I've had people come back to me and say, you know, they've listened to the audio book several times because they just feel compelled and it's speaking to them and they can feel themselves learning more and progressing more each time. So, uh, that, that's, uh, how I suggest people approach it. Be the mentor, not the hero. Oh, so brilliant. And I will, I want to add to what you said because I think not only does the reader feel all those other things you just said, <laughs> like, now, well, what am I stuck without this incredible person? I think um, that that, and a lot of I think the authors who who make themselves the hero clearly don't realize this. But I think what it really also does, and probably more obviously does, is it turns the reader off because it makes the it makes the author sound like they're such an egomaniac, and you know that they're just so about oh me 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 I I I I I, I you know and and they're not seeing the reader. And when people don't feel seen by another person, like how many people do you want to hang out with for six hours who make you who don't make you feel seen? Like, are you going to spend six hours with them? Not willingly. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and and so I think that there's also, you know, you said something very, very key, which is speaking to the reader. And not talking at them is really the uh, the uh, the opposite of that. So I I applaud that directive as well because it's it's so true. And I just recently read a book where, you know, the author just couldn't seem to resist slipping in another detail of something wonderful that he did, even if it wasn't rele relevant to the central topic of the book. And it got very boring, you know. After I mean, even though there was a lot of really great information in the book, it was. It was a. It was. It was harder to read than it should have been, because he just couldn't resist patting himself on the back over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I mean to, to think about that as well. There's um, there's there's some importance in you know, people if they pick up a book thinking, who's this person? Like, should I listen to them? And so, like, if you if you need to sort of say, look, here's my background behind this. This is this is where I'm at. And so I'm going to mentor you through this so that there's, there's some value in that. But to, to give you an example uh, away from the world of books that, I, that has always stayed with me is that when I started speaking on, on at conferences, I would find that, you know, I'd be sitting in the back of the room. I was normally like, it was a big conference, thousands of people there. And I was, you know, maybe the speaker in one of the side rooms that maybe had 10 people in it. And I was thinking, oh, I'd really like to get, you know, to be a speaker on the main stage. 
And uh, I would find, you know, when the speaker came on the main stage, the, the big keynote speaker of the event, the MC would introduce them saying, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a fantastic thing for you. Here we have this person who has a PhD from such and place and a master's from here. And they've got 10 best-selling books, number one on the New York Times. And their mother says they're fantastic and all of this. And so here they are, get on your feet. Wow, isn't this person incredible? And uh, I was thinking, oh, okay, when I, when I become a keynote speaker, like, I'll, have to, I'll have to write that. I'll have to create something like that uh, to, to be impressive because I guess that's how it's done. And so I got to the point where I'd achieved a few things and uh, I was, um, <laughs> I, I would stand up to speak and I sort of give, give people my little sort of page of stuff they could read that sort of sounds good. Um, there, there was one event where I was in Washington, DC and this lady had seen me speak at another event and she called me in, to, she wanted me to work with her team. So I'd flown in and uh, she got me to speak in front of about sort of 60 to 70 people. And so it's like within her office. So this is away from a conference. It was in there. She said, oh, hi, everybody. Look, just to introduce Richard, um, you know, I've seen him speak at this big event. And just so you know, this is going to be the greatest experience oh, of your career, <laughs> hearing him speak. And as soon as she said that, I thought, oh, my God, I've been approaching this completely the wrong direction. That is the worst thing for anybody to say, because now there's, there is no way for me to succeed. I can only right. fail. That's right. And so, ironically, <laughs> that was the event, and this, is, this has never happened to me, thankfully, before or since. That was the event where, where I said, hi, everybody, and I pressed the clicker to go to my first slide. My laptop froze and the screen froze, <laughs> and we couldn't get it to work again for 15 minutes. And so I was just there thinking, this is a disaster. But the, to give people a contrast to that, uh, and this is where I really learned the lesson, I went to do a speech at an event uh, not, not far away from me. Like, it was like a couple of hundred people. And before I spoke, I had the opposite, uh, where the lady before she spoke, uh, she said, um, hi, everyone. So we're at the final day of the conference. Do you remember last year's conference where we had an Olympic gold medal winner who was really amazing and famous? And she said, we just couldn't afford that this year. So today we've got Richard. Here he is. <laughs> and I went on stage and I thought... That's the best introduction ever because now they have such low expectations. That's right. I can exactly. only succeed. Exactly. Uh, and so since then I've been thinking, okay, uh, you know, I, I will be, uh, I'll be all right. Uh, just we to can, give people a little afford, bit of information, but not too much. We can only afford Richard. Here he is. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's so true, you know, uh, that, that it's always, you're, you're, you're going to be better off setting the, the bar of expectations lower and then, and then give yourself some room to exceed them. Um, maybe it doesn't have to be that low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is so true. Hi there, Robin here. Have you been considering writing a thought leadership book that grows your business? How about writing a quality standout book with a real book publishing deal behind it that not only grows your business, but also grows your influence and reach. In case you're new to the author's corner, my name is Robin Colucci, and I help world-class experts write world-changing books and get them published. With over 30 years in the publishing industry, I've helped clients write and publish books with Big Five and other top publishing houses. Many have gone on to become New York Times, Amazon, and Wall Street Journal, as well as USA Today bestsellers. And others have increased their business income by 600 times or more as a result of their book being out in the world and the partnering work that they did with me and my team. 
If you are a top-notch expert who is ready to write your world-changing book, go ahead and book a free consultation call with my team today. We have a limited number of spots available, and we only take clients who are committed to the process and want to get their book started now. If that sounds like you, go to www.robincolucci.com forward slash application. Go ahead and fill out the application form to be considered for one of our exclusive spots. Again, the link is www.robincolucci.com forward slash application. Now, back to the show. Okay, so making themselves the hero is is one common mistake. And I think, boy, in, in authorship, it's it's a very common mistake and, and easily avoided. What do you find are some, speaking of avoiding that, uh, what do you find are some, because listen, you have to say some good things about yourself, right? Because you have done good things and, and, and they are relevant to the reader. So uh, how do you recommend handling the times that you, what kind of parameters do you set around that balance between sharing the actual facts of what you may have done or not or not done that was relevant to and useful to your reader versus sounding like a, a puffed up egoic blowhard? Yeah, well, I think that there there needs to be a, a real sort of sense check around what what you write here. And so first, the first thing to really determine is going to be who is my hero in the story? Like, who is that person that I'm writing this for? And, you know, I, I tend to think of that there's somebody who I know well, who has benefited from the training that my company does, who's enjoyed um, my books in the past, but also who I know on a personal level, who I think this person doesn't need me to impress them. They just need to know if it's going to be worth their time to read this. So what would they need? And then I'd like to think about, well, who's somebody who, who doesn't know me? What would they need to know? And I essentially set up, okay, if they're a hero and they're on this journey, what would they need to know from me? In order to say, okay, I'm willing to listen to your advice. Uh, you're like you're the kind of person that I would maybe go to for some mentoring on my journey. And so they need to know enough information where they can go. It sounds like you've got some experience in this area that is valuable for me to get me away from where I am and towards where I want to go. So it's there. So that's that's sort of the parameters. Then I think that for anybody, as you start to write this stuff then there's the temptation to go, ooh, 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 I've also got that other thing that I did that was really amazing. I should probably mention that, like, because that would make me sound even better. And if there's that sort of ooh, ooh sort of feeling, that's really the ego saying, I want to make myself sound amazing. Uh, so it's worthwhile just doing a sense check of thinking, is anybody really going to need to know that? Like, is, is that valuable in this situation? And you know, I, I've benefited from being able to go and speak at so many different conferences all over the world where, and there are people with different industries and also different levels within an industry. And so every time I'm about to introduce myself, I just think, okay, what, is, what, what job does this person have? And what do they really care about right now? And so what is it they need to know from me to kind of go, okay, I trust this guy. Let's listen to what he has to say, which is different for each industry. So, so it's worthwhile really thinking if you're writing a, a book and sort of, you know, an author's bio, just think who's likely to buy the book and what would they need to know in order to go, okay, this, this seems like a valuable book to read. And so it's sort of that perspective rather than going, I really want to make myself sound good. It's like, what do they need to hear rather than what do you want to say? Oh, brilliant. What do they need to hear 
versus what do you want to say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think you want to say? <laughs> yeah, that is that is such a, a a key distinction. That is such a key distinction. Something else I found that can be enrolling, I'd love to bounce this off of you, is if you share not only your wins, but some of your challenges, other sometimes you've stumbled, had to recover from uh, uh, you know, maybe say a little bit more about that if that seems. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that it's so important to do that. It really is. And, you know, I remember the first time I came across this idea where I went, oh, of course, was, you know, listening to Brené Brown so many years ago when she did her talk about uh, vulnerability, which, you know, suddenly went from, she thought maybe 500 people might end up seeing it and now 20 million have seen it because it, it just resonated with people. It was a real aha moment where we thought, okay, I'm going to share this with everyone I know because that's so important. And so, first of all, when I listened to that, I was in the middle of writing a speech, um, which was to encourage young people to start their own business. And I knew I was going to do this speech in Rotterdam. There was going to be a lot of uh, people there. I think like 900 people show up to this event. It's all students who are about to graduate. They're wondering what to do with their lives. And I thought, I really need to talk to them. Uh, with this sense of vulnerability, a sense of, you know, who am I? Rather than going, I'm like this big successful business person and you should listen to me. I thought, no, 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 they're going to have other people do that who are the CEOs. I, I saw who was on the call sheet, like for the, for the seminar, CEOs of massive companies. And I thought, I'm going to go in there and say, you know, I've made mistakes. I've made errors. I didn't really know what I was doing. And I definitely wouldn't do that again. But, you know, I've walked this path and you can too. And so, so I put that together in a speech. I then submitted it to uh, to get like some some feedback for uh, there's something called the Cicero Award, which speechwriters can enter uh, for, and it's um, I think there's like eight people on the panel. It's a decision making panel, I think, are based out of Washington D.C. I just I, I put it forward to them because I thought I really want to get some feedback on what they think. And then I think it was like a month later, Twitter was like pinging in my pocket. I was like, what is this? And I'd won the award. I'd, like <laughs> there's like 500 professional speechwriters go in for this thing, and they and the, the messages were going, who on earth is Richard Newman? Because <laughs> nobody knew who I was. I was not outside of their profession. But it, it suddenly made me think, wow, this vulnerability thing really resonates with people. All I'd done is really just share from the heart what, you know, how I felt about this situation. And so uh, I've also noticed that in terms of teaching people, because you know, primarily I'll teach people public speaking or storytelling for, for doing a sales pitch or that sort of thing, communication in business. And for a very long time, I had this sort of um, imposter syndrome where I stand at the front of the room thinking, I really hope that they believe that I know what I'm doing. I feel like I do know what I'm doing, but I really hope they believe in me. And then occasionally what would happen, because my colleagues know me, they, they'd get to like, we'd be doing like a two-day workshop. We get towards the end of the second day. And one of the, my colleagues would come up to me and say, look, this guy you know, who I've been coaching, he's really struggling with his, with his nerves and stuff. Could you, could you open up with him about how you feel? And so and then I could maybe open up with him on like the coffee break and say, look, I, I've struggled for a very long time had all sorts of nervousness, anxiety, went through hypnotherapy to try and get through that sense of, can I even go out and stand and speak in front of people? And that became the most valuable thing that I'd said out of a two-day workshop that we were running, was just a sense of, I've struggled too. And so for so many years, I think that I've been trying to stand up there and be perfect and go, look, I, I really do know what I'm doing. I'm trying to be polished and perfect at all times. But it was that humanity, that shared humanity that made people think, oh, okay, 
this, this you know, he's made, he's made the journey and he's like me. Uh, and so that's where, you know, when I got my diagnosis just last year of being autistic, I thought I want to share this with people because I want to let people know if you are, if you know people who are, then, you know, it's not, it's nothing to be afraid of that it's okay. And, and opening up in that way is, is drawn, you know, all sorts of conversations of people wanting to, to come and talk to me in, in more depth about it. Uh, so I, I think that absolutely sharing in a vulnerable way, sharing where things have not gone well, you know, these, these are the things that help us connect with each other as human beings. Uh, and so, it, and I, I like people, influ so-called influencers on, on social media, the, the people who are willing to open up and say, I just did something and it didn't really work, are the ones that we think, I really believe in you. Like, you're not just touting this ideas, you're actually sharing with me what life is like. Yeah. And it really, it makes such a difference all across the board, you know, credibility, likability, <laughs> um, trustability, right? And, and I think we don't just, it's, it's, it's also, it's inspiring. It's more inspiring to learn from someone who's been where you are, or maybe even worse off than where you are, who is, who is succeeding in the way that that reader or listener wants to succeed. And uh, if you hide that from people, then they don't, you know, then everything is just a, um, you know, a movie with a two-minute montage where a kid goes from, uh, I can't throw a baseball to throwing, you know, striking all, all strikeouts in the in the big game, you know, and it, yeah. and it only took a three-minute montage with a song and some clips for him to go from suck to great. And I think that that's such a um, terrible, really big, big problem in the U.S. Right. I don't know yeah, if it is yeah. everywhere. It's, it's so true because that's kind of that, that is really the, the most important part of a story is, um, I remember seeing this, I thought it was hilarious in the recent Lion King, like the, um, so the, sort of like the live action ver version with, with sort of real animals on, on the screen, um, where they, they, I think they changed the lyrics of the, uh, the, the song. I'm going to get the name of it wrong. Was it Hakuna like, Matata? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. The, okay. That's like the, um, that's yeah. the montage sequence. And at the end they say, we better end this song now. Cause you just put on 200 pounds in the space of three minutes. Like, where is this going? Uh, so <laughs> it was a sense of he's gone from a, a, a child cub right. up to being <laughs> an adult. And it all happened in the space of just singing one song. <laughs> and, you know, the challenge is that we, we then get, you know, people who expect, well, I, I should be an overnight billionaire because that's what that's what seems to happen. Like you see that in the movies all the time. Um, but it's that journey where I think actually the most good can be done to help people where they go, I really want to get there, but I'm really stuck. And I thought it should be easier than this. And that's the place where we can come in and say, it's all right, because I got stuck, too. And when I got stuck, this is what helped me. Yeah. And it's funny because it's not the three minute montage. Like you said, that's the most important part of the story, right? That's, that is the struggle because it, it's what makes you who you are, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. to get in that crucible. Speaking of like, because one of the things I often say to people is that, you know, the act of authorship, the act of conceiving, writing, completing, publishing a book, is it is in itself a transformative process. And it's my belief that you come out a better expert than you did than you were going in. Is that was that true for you? And if so, what were some of the changes you noticed? Uh, so sorry, just to clarify your question, were you saying do I feel more expert in what I'm doing since writing my book? Yeah, 
And and if yeah, so, like yeah, yeah. If, if and like, do you feel like you became a better expert overall? And if so, are there specific things that you can point to that you've really noticed? Yeah, well, what I really liked, I mean, particularly this process I've just gone through with my um, brilliant editor, is that uh, there were certain elements that I was writing about where, you know, to put this into context, there were things I was teaching as a technique where I've been teaching it for 23 years. My team have taught it to over 100,000 people. We've taught it in five different languages. It works. It definitely works. We know that it makes sense. It's clear. And I would write it on the page. And my editor would come back to me and go, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> what are you teaching there? And I'd be like, part of me would be thinking, of course it makes sense because I've taught it for decades. I know that it works. I've seen, I've seen when somebody is not communicating well, and then I say this to them, then they end up communicating well and everybody in the room says so. So I know it works, but I think she's also right in the sense of she has seen that part of what I'm saying actually doesn't really make sense. And particularly, you know, the difference between if I'm in the room and I can use my body language and voice and like, you know, bring the story to life in that way, then people are obviously picking up something non-verbally from me to make something make sense. And so uh, what I think the process of writing the book did was a couple of things. Firstly, on those smaller bits, help me really understand clearer ways to explain things that I'd been teaching and talking about for years. It, it did that. But also what it did in, in the process of shaping the book this time is that we went through several iterations of what we thought the book was. And in the end, I'm, I'm really pleased with how, how the book has turned out because essentially the shape of the book taught me what it is I really want to do right now, what I really want to help people with, which is that like, it sort of started off along the lines of, well, I'm, I'm going to include communication skills and a bit of mindset in here. But where it went to in the end is helping people be a change maker. So if you want to be a change maker, if you really want a life that is more purposeful, then how do you do that? Um, because you know, I noticed over the last few years with the pandemic that we've had a lot of people who have had the great resignation, lots of people starting businesses, doing something new, just not wanting to do the old stuff again. They want a life that is more purposeful. And I really care about that. And that's something that I've been passionate about for a long time. And so the book became that and sort of taught me what it needed to be. And um, I've heard I've heard directors and editors talk about this with movies where they're struggling with a movie where there's like scenes that were supposed to be in it and they get to the edit and they go, but that's not what the movie's supposed to be. Now that it's living and breathing, we can see the story that needs to actually occur where the ending is actually not what we thought it was at all. It's actually this over here. Uh, so that was really beneficial for me too, to, to get clear in my head, what do I actually do and what do I really want to be doing and how do I explain it in a way that is far more clear than I had been before? Let me test this on you because what I've also found, and I also found this authoring my own book, is that once you've written it, you're better at communicating it everywhere. Mm. On stage, interviews, with clients, with prospective clients. Yeah. And I think... Um, so something that helped me with that process too is that uh, I was lucky enough with this one to do uh, with with this one and my previous one uh, to do the audio book, and I've really loved uh, being in the booth and having to bring my words to life in a way that because uh, you know I've worked with um, nice producers on this who so are like now go back over that sentence you need to hit this word to really get the feeling of where you're heading. And then you have your own voice in your head telling you what your book is for two days as you go through this process. 
And I felt like, you know, I came out of, of doing the audiobook recording thinking, I really understand this book at another level now, because I've, I've heard myself say all of it out loud. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I, I felt that very much so. And I felt that with my previous book that it just, it taught me, it, it taught, it, it sort of pushed me to further depths of really understanding what is behind what I'm saying and why I'm saying it uh, to a point where I'm even more passionate about it than before. Mm, I love that. I love that. Yeah, you, you can be an even better, uh, it's not ambassador. There's another word. Oh, you know, I'm always looking for the perfect word. But anyway, you could be a better, even better <laughs> ambassador for your own brand. Sure. Yeah. All right. So you have, so your next book is uh, Lift Your Impact. Yes. Um, correct. And that is, that is coming out uh, this May, I see. So uh, before I, before I, you know, I know I'm going over the usual amount of time, but before I get to my final question, which of course I will, would you share with our listeners a little bit about the transition that you made from a couple of self-published books to your, your deal with McGraw-Hill? You know, anything that stands out to you in terms of the, the, the differences that you experienced in the two processes or what, what led to your decision to go traditional? Yeah. So I think, um, well, the, the, the simpler answer is what, what, why did I go self-published on the last book? And the reason being, I, I was speaking to uh, one of the biggest publishers in the UK of, uh, of business books. And they, I had several meetings with them. And first they said, look, here's a template for a book that we want you to create. We're going to create various books and we want you to do this one in a series. And we want chapters to look like this and then there'll be a graph and then you do this and then you do the summary. And I said, I'm really not interested in doing that sort of book. I want to do something that is a real landmark book on this subject. And then they went away and they came back and said, that sounds exciting. Let's talk about this. And when we talked about it, I said to them, you know, what's, where do you expect this is going to go? Like, tell me the, the average number of books that people tend to sell for the people that, that you work with. And they said, well, uh, the average books that, that we create will sell maybe two and a half thousand copies, 3,000 at the very most. And that's sort of 97% of all books that, that we're selling. And you get a few that will then go on to sell, you know, 100, over 100,000 or a million. Um, but most books, two and a half thousand. And they said, I think, I forget what the maths was on this, but it was something like I was going to end up with about 50 cents per copy that, that I would end up, you know, earning in return. And I said to them, you know, when I'd, when I'd written my first self-published book, that wasn't great. Uh, back in 2010, I'm really pushing it down. It was great. It's a classic edition. You should all go and find it. Uh, you know, actually, I saw it on. It was was on that the eBay mini book? Is, are you talking about it the, was mini the mini book? book. The it was the yeah, mini book. It was like 90 pages. Or okay, gotcha. I saw, I saw it on eBay at one point because uh, it was like limited edition, the only one available on the internet for $300. So I was like, wow, this person's wow. making a lot of money out of this. But, but I, I said to this publisher in the UK, Look, my, my first book, which I did by myself, I sold at least 5,000 copies. So, and I got to keep all the money from that. Why would I then work with you if you're going to do two and a half thousand? And so with that book, I chose to go uh, self-published and we then ended up selling, I think it was 9,000 books through hardback, audio, Kindle. And I, I put the profits towards charities that we work with as a business, which if I had gone through the publisher, I wouldn't have been able to do. So this time around, I wanted to make a shift. I really wanted to, I love working in the US. So I'm based in the UK, love working in the US, lots of clients across in the US. And I wanted to help make sure that the book reaches an audience that I couldn't get it to uh, before. 
And I was also determined to make sure that, that what I'm creating here was the very best quality. So, so my previous book, I was very much reliant on myself. I did have someone work with me that I paid to be an editor with me. Uh, but the other thing that I also found out is it's really, really hard working with companies like Amazon if you are not a publisher and you go and you try and do everything right. yourself and figure <laughs> out well, like, where's the warehouse going to be and what are we doing with distribution? It's so hard. Um, so that was a lesson in itself. So I thought I want to work with people who really know what they're doing and can really help me shape this book into something extraordinary. And I have to say that um, I'm just so pleased that I work with this brilliant New York editor who, like, it felt like being whipped every week. Like, I would send her the manuscript and uh, she would say, okay, here's all the things that are wrong with it. And I'd look at them and I'd go, she's so right, but that's going to cost me so much time to get it right now. And then I, you know, I'd, I'd really work. So she really, I think what, what it was that she really believed in me being able to produce something good. And she pushed me as hard as she had to push me uh, to the point where, you know, we almost fell out a couple of times of me thinking, I can't do any better than this. Um, but I'm so glad that she, you know, she persisted in pushing me towards it being the best book that it could be. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to make it the best book. I wanted to get it into the hands of as many people as possible. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that because I, I think that this is the perennial question that so many authors, uh, or wannabe authors re wrestle with is which publishing route. And I think it's so important to get, uh, it's so important to get a variety of perspectives on that. So thank you for sharing that. All right. Now, before we completely run out of time, I am going to ask you my signature final question, which is, uh, Richard, what have I not asked you today that you would love to answer? There's so many things that people never ask me that I'd sort of love to go into. The things that come to mind are <laughs> in no particular order. My, my imagination went wild and thought, I'd love, I'd love you to ask me, where do I see myself age 95? What does life oh, look like for Richard at that age? Let's go for it. I, I also then thought I'd, <laughs> oh, it'd be interesting if you asked what my favorite pudding is, but that's <laughs> just because it's sort of, you know, it's oh, completely off topic. All right. Well, let's get the pudding out of the way because now I won't be able to think about anything else. What is your favorite pudding, Richard? Uh, I, I believe it's tiramisu. I think oh, that's the one. excellent. Good choice. All right. Now, where, what is 95-year-old Richard up to? <laughs> um, I think, so what comes to mind for me, age 95, is uh, being completely at peace with life, thinking I did everything I could do to serve other people in humanity. I, I was really of service. I rose to the challenge and I have left a legacy behind me and I can now sit in a rocking chair. I see myself on a deck in sort of surrounded by wilderness in a calm place with a very simple life, being able to look back on what I did and think I went, I really fought for it. I did something I believed in and now I'm feeling content to pass over to uh, the next generation for what they're going to do. That's beautifully said. And I, I, I wish that outcome for you. <laughs> mm, thanks. <laughs> well, Richard, this has been a wonderful uh, hour that we spent together. And I want to thank you again for being with us on The Author's Corner. Yeah, many thanks. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.